Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Quality sleep is essential for boosting energy, recovery, and well-being. So, take your sleep to the next level with Sleep Number. With a Sleep Number smart bed, you can individualize your comfort level and enjoy a better sleep night after night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599, a saving of $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Hello and welcome to the Wednesday Night War Preview. I'm Adam Wilborn from What Culture, joined by the Dadly Boys of What Culture, Michael Hamflet and Michael Sidgwick, to look ahead to tonight's episode of AEW Dynamite. But before we get into it, if you're a fan of this sort of thing, make sure you subscribe to What Culture Wrestling on either iTunes, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts from, for daily wrestling podcasts, where we not only review the Wednesday Night War, and if you want to know our thoughts ahead of NXT, that is available as a podcast right now. We also review Raw, SmackDown, pay-per-views, we have interviews, roundtable discussions, and a roundup of the week complete with a bloody good quiz of course on WrestleCulture as I said they're joined by Hamper and Sidgwick to preview AEW Dynamite and they're, they're sort of calm before the storm this feels Sid you've got obviously New Japan strong with with Kenta versus John Moxley coming up uh Friday I believe and of course Revolution a week on Sunday how are you feeling about tonight's show I'm a bit uninspired if I'm honest I don't know if this card is by design built to be right okay we can't get a massive audience every week we really want a massive audience for next week i don't know if this is a strategic means of shooting a big angle on top of a lot of wrestling matches that i really don't think are going to draw a big audience so that they get the buzz if not the number that will realize itself the next week and then sell the pay-per-view it's a weird way to go about it because again like last year's build to revolution was so balls to the wall end to end top to bottom fantastic that that's the expectation i have that's Mm. the expectation i have for the big sort of meat on the bone of a pay-per-view not quite getting it with this card it's it's still weird there's not apart from moxley in a match that people aren't really going to deem essential they haven't got any of their big heavy hitters working a match I find this card odd. I'm not not looking looking forward to this one match in particular. I think will be great. But yeah, it doesn't feel like we're two weeks away from a pay-per-view I meant to really, really care about. It's funny, isn't it? I, like, I don't think, personally, I don't think AEW has had an amazing 2020. And yet we sat down to preview some Dynamites that have looked absolutely amazing. And then bits and bobs of them have maybe delivered, or perhaps there's just been too much. And the good stuff was really good, but the other stuff was there almost to undermine it. I'm wondering, and this is generous or optimistic or whatever, I'm wondering if this will flip all that tonight, because I agree with Sidgwick. There's not a huge amount here that we're going to preview where it feels like there's much meat on the bone, 
But then maybe that's going to be to the benefit of AEW and to this Revolution card. Maybe they're going to show us things here that we didn't see coming because we didn't even think to see them coming. Like little things that will come up in our like intramatch discussions of some of the stuff on here might be might look on the surface to be fairly inconsequential and then might show themselves for what they actually are tonight. That again contributes to not just Revolution, but this you know, March 3rd Dynamite, which itself is, it's not a labelled show, but it's a big one. It's got the Cody Shack match. It's the ginormous sales pitch. It's certainly, I think they'd be lying to themselves if they didn't think at the start of the year, if they were going to put Cody and Shaq on a Dynamite, they would be looking for that to try and be like tickling a million. Mm. And if you tickle that million, you potentially drive more people to your pay-per-view. So if anything, I think there might be some excitement buried within to tease us for what's to come next week. It's not just the pay-per-view. I think that I have a sense they're going to tee up something pretty major for next week's Dynamite as well. Yeah, one thing that might lead into that is this match between John Moxley and Ryan Nemeth. On paper, a relatively straightforward match. But for those unaware, so just explain Kenta's relationship with, with Moxley in this upcoming uh, US Championship match. It's all very simple. He's the number one contender to John Moxley's um, IWGP United States title. Uh, the IWGP being a fictitious governing body for New Japan Pro Wrestling because it likes to do what all wrestling should and be an emulation of sport. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's a number one contender. Um, he's spun it being a great heel as John Moxley ducking him when in fact there wasn't um, a company. There's a contractual reason why they couldn't interact even though they were stationed in the same state. The Forbidden Door has literally blew that apart. Now it can happen. Um, and it's been very nicely built on social media and mainly in the theatre of our minds, if I'm being honest. I've liked everything they've done on AEW Dynamite. And given the proximity of the show, I wouldn't be surprised to see Kent there. But at the same time, you've got two weeks at this point to sell the public on Moxley versus Omega. The, the very stipulation itself is completely captivating to a great number of people. But I kind of want to see this massively fired up John Moxley hates Kenny Omega promo that I want to see any kind of build towards Moxley versus Kenta. It's kind of got a vibe of WrestleMania 13. Like Revolution is going to be a much better show. Won't have the same match, obviously. But ECW invading WWF is like, uh, let's see what works exercise. It's kind of mirrored in Revolution because AEW's numbers have plateaued. I can't explain it, but they have. So they want to try these new things, one of which is cross-promotion. And if there is a serious Kenter involvement tonight, it maybe threatens to interfere mm. with the actual build to the pay-per-view between Moxie and Omega, which is has to take precedent. So maybe they are realizing that yes, as exciting as it is, there are it's very tricky to do. It's strange, isn't it? Because they kind of perfected how these two, how John Moxley's two current feuds intermingle. They perfected that in the booking of that tag match two weeks ago, because you had. Ken- just be this like fireball of a pro wrestler running off the stage as he did to hit that double stomp in the middle of a tag team match that also features Kenny Omega and John Moxley brawling to feed into what we assumed at the time was blood and guts, but is now obviously their singles payoff. That was the impeccable dovetailing of these two quite these storylines that are quite difficult to marry up with one another. John Moxley is both fighting for a title and yet defending one. So you're asking him to be champion and challenger across two separate storylines. He's doing an amazing job of that because he's a fantastic babyface, and he can he can carry the burden of like a lost title in AEW as much as he can carry the title of one that he treasures in New Japan. 
So it's really, really tricky, I think, now that you've done that match to kind of keep those things together and to keep it all focused. Um, Ryan Nemeth could be the key to all this. We have been critical of him, but it was a pretty amazing beating that Pat gave him. It was memorable in just how destructive it was of this complete wet end in Ryan Nemeth. I would expect the same from Moxley tonight, and maybe it's a little bit more subtle than to just have Kent to run in or to have Kenny challenge him and it's have Moxley sort of destroy this mug as a way to say, I will fight the world and I will win. Like, you can all come for me. You can come for my title. I'm going to come for your title in a barbed wire exploding death match. But this is who I am. I am capable of, I'm just capable of breaking men and I'm going to break the both of you. Like, him not being afraid of all of this that he's got on him might be the better way to build it than to have all of his opponents charging for him at the same time. We've, we've kind of done it. Sort of did it with the tag match. I want a departure from the what's becoming now the trademark Moxley promo. It's before the first commercial break of the program or just after. It's very early anyway. He does it in front of a background and he does two minutes of calm, collected, funny, menacing fire. But it's not fire. It's more just like him being just cool as all hell. I, I want to see some real emotion out of Moxley at this point uh, for this feud. Love the premise. Really, really enjoyed it, but I feel like now is the time to... It's like certain wrestling matches where you think, oh, this is great. It's great, it's great. And then the last five minutes happen. You're like, all right, it's a classic. Like, I need that. I need a seminal John Moxley emotional, fiery promo to get this step and the danger of it like totally over the top. Yeah, really excited to see how he plays it tonight with all of those issues going on with him. Uh, also advertising that we've got Ray Phoenix versus Lance Archer, the face of the revolution ladder match qualifier. Pamphlet, who for you joins Cody Rhodes, Scorpio Sky and Penta El Zero Miedo? I hate that this match is happening because I'd put them both in. Yeah. They both contribute something very different to a multi-man ladder match. And there's evidence to suggest how great that would be. In AEW's own history alone, there's evidence to suggest how amazing that would be. Um, yeah, I, I don't want... So the thing is here, what I don't want is for, say, Phoenix to win and then Lance Archer to win, like, a last chance thing. It's very WWE, even more so specifically NXT, for them to do, like, on next week's Dynamite. We're having a last chance qualifier for eight guys that we've just sort of summoned to the ring. And that's how Archer gets in through the back door. It saddens me that one of them isn't going to do it. And AW aren't going to do some sort of screwy finish where a bunch of heels run in and they both qualify. It's, one of them's not going to make this match. And that was my first thought upon seeing this is how mm. disappointed I was with that. I'm going to go with Phoenix um, because I just think having him and Penta forced to physically interact in that ladder match, like his mouthwatering, them working together at first as a team before the end goal pulls them apart. I think it's going to be fascinating. It's it's it feels like head cannon for me personally at this point, but I genuinely feel like that's where they're going with the lucha. But I just think that the way that they've positioned Phoenix as a as a guy in Penta's absence has made me believe that they've got high hopes for him. And Penta's proved himself as a fantastic, like nearly headline level heel in the past. Certainly wasn't lucha underground. I think that match at Revolution is going to tease that. The work's going to be incredible, and I just hope that in Archer's loss they line him up something that. Kind of warrants his pretty strong work as a babyface lately. Genuinely sad that they're not going to both be in this. Yeah, I like this as much as I don't, which is to say a lot on both ends of the spectrum. Love the dynamic of this match, if not how they arrived at it, considering that three men had already automatically qualified, um, which would be fine. Cody had a great record. I would really like this um, articulated on commentary, um, actually. Cody yeah. had a great singles record in 2020. 
Um, and I know that it's a clean slate, but it's, well, it's never been explained. But as far as I can tell, career record still counts for something. Scorpio Sky had a great record in 2020. Um, Pentagon singles didn't. How do you explain his um, inclusion in it? I think, as Hamza points out, you explain it by the fact that Phoenix is about to do it tonight. I often say I never get worried when I say, oh, there's two people in this match and neither of them can afford to lose. Like I say, this is the drama. This is the goddamn drama. Get it, get it. Please understand it. It drives me insane that you don't. Subverting that, I, if Lance Archer loses this, I'll stop buying him as a baby face, which is crucial because he's only just turned. If Phoenix loses this, I just will lose faith in something. I love Lance Archer, but altogether more important, the process. For Christ's sake, how do you... Put, how do you dangle a carrot of Phoenix being in a multi-man ladder match and not deliver it? That's the reason why I think he's winning, but at the same time, it's Lance Archer. Maybe the whole idea is um, he will look absolutely mega star-sized if he defeats Lance Archer, and that'll be his big breakthrough, and he has to therefore win the match. I like the name of the match because you think Cody's going to win. He is the face of the revolution, and I think that's the... So I like elements of everything, but just... Put them both in it. How hard's that? <laughs> Put them in it and, pa- and pack six. Well, easy. And, or and or Eddie Kingston. Eddie Kingston yeah, last week Eddie tried Kingston. to tried to dry the wedge, didn't he? He tried to say we didn't want you, Phoenix. We only wanted uh, Pentagon. Like that was that was him uh, creating that first teaser of a potential fight between the two that he can puppet master. So you could throw him in the match as well. So if Lance Archer was to win, that would lead me to believe we're getting Phoenix and Kingston in a singles match at Revolution. Great. Like, that'll be fantastic on its own terms. Um, yeah, I'd, I'd love them both to have been in this ladder match. I think they'd, they both suit it so well based on where they are in the career at the moment as well. Yeah, I mean, yeah they're AEW, they're AEW insane. I immediately thought of you, Sige, when when I saw this match for that exact reason of neither of them can afford to lose this. Uh, I, I expect, like you, said, like you both said, I think Phoenix gets into the match, but it's very interesting how they book... Archer, like you say, because it's been so stop-start for him ever since his babyface turn. Maybe some shenanigans involving Eddie Kingston, but we have seen that quite a lot that recently. Uh, one match you have very high hopes for tonight, Michael Sidgwick, is Hangman Page versus Isaiah Cassidy. Yeah, I think this is going to bang. I think this is going to go on first, and I think it's going to be um, amazing. Hangman Page's form is absolutely electrifying. So good, in fact, that he's working people on that show that are variously half broken down. Um, I don't think that's a shocking assessment of Jack Evans, who's really outperformed. Um, particularly that match against the Young Bucks not too long ago, I thought was great, but he's certainly shown the age and the, and how much wear and tear he's accumulated by working the certain style that he has. He's worked matches when Luther, who's also quite old and broken, has been on the other side of the ring. Every single Hangman Page match, he hasn't worked world-class caliber opponents in quite some time, and yet I always emerge from them thinking, Hangman Page is great. Hangman Page is great. Mm. Isaiah Casti is not as good as Hangman Page, but on a physical, athletic level, he can certainly keep up with them. He's a firecracker, so I firmly expect this to be an excellent 10 to 12 minutes of action that... If Isaiah Casti's got anything about him, and I do think he has, because he had that really bang tidy match with Chris Jericho not too long ago mm. that gets forgotten about because Dynamite is largely so very good. But he had like a really, really good match with Jericho on TV. And if it can reach that height, um, then I think it can build this story that is adequate in a more exciting way than possibly even the destination. 
it doesn't thrill me because I know goddamn well that Hangman Page is going to win. So it doesn't have that big dramatic crux to it, but I'm still looking forward to it. Yeah, I completely echo Cedric's sentiment there. It's the booking itself, considering that we've got the, the revolution match to look forward to, is like very strictly and almost painfully functional. But look at the workers, they'll make it fun. If yeah. anything, that's the point, that's the point of building up like such a dynamic roster that AEW's got. And that's in theory what NXT should be doing with their dynamic roster is you take these fairly functional television matches and then you just inject a bit of life into them because the wrestlers have got the capability to do that. This is the place of um creative freedom and far more workers' expression. And I expect there to be lashings of that. Um, making this far more than just the kind of what what we know it as is the tune up the pre pay per view tune up for Hangman Page. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, everyone. I've been on the go recently. Phoenix, Kansas City, Chicago. If you're like me and have a home but aren't always at home, you have an Airbnb. Hosting your home or a spare room is a very practical side hustle. If you live in a big game town, you can Airbnb your place for fans to stay in. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at Airbnb.com slash host. Before we go any further, though, this podcast is brought to you by Rocket Money. Do you ever feel like money is just flying out of your account and you've got no idea where it's going? Well, it's all those subscriptions. I mean, think about it. Between streaming services, fitness apps, delivery services, it is endless. I'm guilty of this, so I used Rocket Money to help me find out what subscriptions I'm actually spending money on, and it was more shocking than a wrestling betrayal. You see, Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has helped save its members an average of $720 a year with over $500 million in cancelled subscriptions. So stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash wrestling. That's rocketmoney.com slash wrestling. Rocketmoney.com slash wrestling. Now, this is a weird show, like I said, because it's the sort of the go-home show before the go-home show for Revolution. But it's also this week is the go-home show ahead of not only Shaq's match with with Red Velvet and Jay Cargill and uh, and Cody Rhodes, of course, but also the Tully Blanchard thing. Uh, how do they set it up, particularly with Shaq? Because we've been, well, we're terrified about this match and him playing basketball with Jay Cargill did not help my nerves, uh, Michael Sidgwick. Ah, oh, God. I don't know how to build this. There's no emotional core to the story whatsoever. Um, there's barely even any story of which to, to speak or to get excited about or to analyse. Um, it started on the thinnest of pretenses. I, th- I believe Shaq doesn't like the colour of Cody Rhodes' hair. <laughs> you mentioned something about his hair. It was so forgettable and low stakes that I've completely forgotten about it. Um, 
I wouldn't expect any serious involvement from Shaq. Um, maybe if I'm being generous, the, the weird quality to that vignette can be explained by the fact that they filmed something else when they had Shaq and Cargill available on the same day. And this is just a tease that is something like a, a decent promo challenge filmed in a gym or whatever. Um, I would do a big goddamn heat angle on poor Red Velvet. Sorry, uh, but you're going to get in the match anyway. I'd get an absolutely ragdolled all out of the shop by Jade Cargill. I want to see what that physique is capable of because we've only seen the physique and everyone's seemingly consensus level take on this match is, Ugh, how are they going to do this? Mm. By all accounts, Shaq has been training at QT Marshall's gym, but I think I want to see a curl of those incredible biceps because I want to believe that they are capable of choking somebody out. It's, uh, it's funny you mentioned WrestleMania 13. You're thinking like a China Marlena sort of thing where the size disparity oh, Christ, is eh? so great that she just completely, like she grabbed her in a bear hook and swung her from left to right. You'd be like, <laughs> well, them two, them two couldn't have a fair fight. Like teeing that up a week before this match is probably ideal, isn't it? Because yeah, the, the Jade Cargill, like the vignettes or the tweets or whatever, where we see this amazing physique and this amazing potential is just that until it's realized, isn't it? It's only potential until it's realized into something a bit more physical and a bit more like tangible. Um, I, is there any way? So when they put this match on the go home show, which I think we've all been an advocate of, I was thinking, well, that's all right. Cause it's probably what's going to come from this is Cody's revolution angle. And then they just put Cody in the ladder match hmm. like last week in the graphic, not even came coming out and cutting a promo, just in the graphic in the match. Are they going to go the other way? Is this match going to write him out of it? Is there a big angle coming that takes Cody out of revolution entirely? And that becomes the talking point. Cody does something in this match or somebody does something to Cody. Shaq and um, Jade Cargill have got somebody else in the background that was willing to do some very, very nasty things for them after Shaq and Cody appear to be friends. Or like, Is there more to this beyond the kind of glitzy media court in match? I, I don't know. I guess what I'm asking is I want to feel from AEW that they're going to be a bit more creative out the other side of what is, you know, it's a ratings grab. It's this, it's a bad bunny conversation all over again. We can understand the business reasons yet not particularly enjoy the output of the television show. Are we going to get to enjoy the output of the television show? Is something going to happen in this match or is something going to happen after the match that's actually going to make us all go, oh, that was brilliant. That was so inspired. I would never would have seen this coming. Tantamount to Anna Jay getting squashed by Abaddon. That like, ah, oh, this is what this was all about. Mm. You know, I'd, I'd love to think that was the end goal of all of this. Because it being just that kind of transparent publicity grab, it's almost a bit disappointing that AEW haven't wrapped a better creative around it. Because you could think they could. You think they're capable of like, we know what's going on here, but they're better at obscuring that. I remember when the match, maybe not straight away when the match got announced, but quite early on, I do apologise to whoever tweeted this to me because I thought it was great. And uh, I'm not sure if we mentioned it on the news or not, but someone pitched uh Shaq not actually being in the match, but it sort of relates to what you're saying there and being replaced or having this person come in and attack Cody. And that name was Nick Aldis, who's obviously got quite a bit of history with Cody. But that is listener, you can't deliver a celebrity. You can't promise a delivery and not threaten them. And like you can't tease a celebrity and not deliver it. You absolutely can't. You but in terms of like the post match thing that Hamlet well, you can do something with Aldis in the post match, certainly. Yeah. Um, that all-in match was absolutely great. They've carried themselves in a way that should feel like cosplay. It should feel like they're <laughs> absolute 80s NWA marks, and yet it somehow doesn't, which is a huge testament to 
how good that dynamic was um, because we've seen from NWA power that it can quickly descend into cosplay. It's a hypocritical cosplay considering they were all saying, oh, we're not the cosplay guys. I mean, we've got the beautiful color scheme just right for the NWA, <laughs> but you know what? Everyone else is the cosplay guys. So yeah, I would be bang up for an Aldous Cody match again. They'd be great. But like, I, want, I want to see Shaq as well, goddammit. Even though I don't, because it seems like it's going to suck. Yeah, I was morbid fascination, but not as... as it just, it just intrigue, I suppose, to see what happens next week. I love the idea of Red Velvet getting ragdolled, as horrible as that sounds. And, and Hamlet mentioned Anna Jay there, obviously. Uh, we wish her well in her recovery. Sucks that she is uh, going to be out for six to 12 months, I think, with a severe shoulder injury. My prediction for tonight... After all this, it's going to be another one of those things where we've we've booked ourselves into something that's not going to happen. We're going to be disappointed. I can easily see just another montage concluding with, I don't know, Shaq hitting a spinning back elbow, shattering the backboard of a basketball thing or whatever. I don't know. <laughs> that's very much in their sort of wheelhouse, but uh, hopefully something to build towards the huge match next week. Not a good week to be Brandon Cutler, Michael Hamflet. He's going up against Jake Hager. Yeah. It's this more than anything else. I want to be, I want to be hiding something better. Like you kind of, it's sort of like Siri. Can you show me one of the worst possible combinations from the amazing AW roster to put on uh, TNT on a Wednesday night, please? <laughs> Jake Hager versus Brandon Cutler. Alexa, can you give me some black glue? Because that's all you do. Um, <laughs> it just, it's it's no good, is it? Like, let's be honest. Um, Jake Hager has had opportunities to tell the world he is no longer Jack Swagger. And then he has those opportunities and we all start thinking, Jack Swagger was all right, wasn't he? Like in, <laughs> in singles matches, I mean, I want to make that very clear. I was a big fan of his team with Chris Jericho. I was a big fan of him as the, like, aloof heavy of the inner circle. He's piss funny. Like, his, his one-man quest for championship belts reminds me of uh, Sean Stasiak in a one-man feud with The Rock back in 2001. Like... <laughs> The Rock doesn't realise that he's in a storyline with Sean Stasiak, but Sean Stasiak is charging for him every week. That, to me, is what Jake Hager thinks of every belt in AEW. <laughs> like, no no champion looks twice at Jake Hager, but every night Jake Hager studies and he's like, I, I know you're looking at me, Kenny Omega. I know you want my challenge, all this sort of thing. Like, I like, I like that, Jake Hager. This cannot go long, and this cannot expose what longer singles matches have exposed. And, like, longer singles matches with good, proven talent. I never, ever want to be put through, be subjected to the John Moxley title match again. Uh, we were all worried about Jake Hager versus Dustin Rhodes because they wrestled it like Goldust and Jack Swagger, etc., etc. There's just too much evidence about what Jake Hager's limitations are. As a worker, uh, can this get over on a comedic level? Maybe. Should it exist solely to give MJF and Chris Jericho something to do? Absolutely. Brandon With Cutler... As friend, as family friend, he goes. Brandon Cutler's relationship with the Young Bucks goes just beyond mates, doesn't it? Like there's a deep, deep rooted connection with the Young Bucks and indeed the Book family. Mm -hmm. And what happened last week? Chris Jericho got into it with Papa Book. This has to exist for nothing more than a short squash and for the inner circle to be getting up in the business of the the family book. Yeah, again, just to that's, add that heft to the tag match. That's exactly what I was thinking. I think this this match is is going to be sort of an afterthought in terms of the fact that it's just an excuse to get the inner circle in, particularly MJF and Chris Jericho at ringside. And I don't, is, is this one taped, uh, Sid? And, and if so, obviously, that would allow them to get back into it with the with the family book. 
Yes, I believe so. I think it's in the can already. Um, the existing schedule, um, I think, means it's in the can, which means that the books will be there. All of the family. Well, not all of the family. It's absolutely gigantic. But yeah, this is just the most drab and functional thing that I praise AEW for at large in that they are making use of the connections to build a match, to build a match, to preserve the match. All very good, all very noble. I couldn't possibly give a toss. I'm sorry about Jake Hager <laughs> versus Brandon Cutler. Quicker the better. Um, I'd be more interested in seeing Wardlow squash him, but I guess you're trying to babyface Wardlow, so it probably wouldn't work in that regard. I want MGF to be incredibly nasty to pat my book. Basically, that is it. <laughs> yeah. I want to get in his face. I want him to get the comeuppance. And I want him to just focus his tirade on the Young Bucks as opposed to the Inner Circle. I think it needs to really be built that much. Um, the Inner Circle thing is going to be sprawling for quite some time, I imagine. Um, something major will happen at Revolution. We will get to that on the preview podcast next week. But for now, I just want MGF to be MGF. Yeah, exactly. I just that's all. I, I you know you can almost have a picture in picture of the match going on, and then just just a camera focused on the back and forth between Papa Book and, and MJF and Chris Jericho. And I don't know why my brain thought of this. I was like, maybe it could be like an accidental negging of Papa Book or injuring in my eyes of, of Papa Book, where they're sat there, they're relaxing, they've got a, a match in a week and a half, they, they don't need to get involved or anything like that. Let's just sit there and have a little bit of the bubbly, except the cork from the bubbly goes in Papa Book's eye and blinds <laughs> him or something. I'm like, oh, what a mistake, sorry. Oh, does that mess things up and maybe cause the books to take their eye off? Well, I don't know. Um, let's I'm, amazed, about- I'm amazed what a cute pitch that is from you, Wilbur. Half expected that. Wardle, electric chair him, get him. <laughs> <laughs> Papa Book is not like one of the book's kids, so. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> Um, Britt Baker, Nyla Rose, the uh, Women's Elim- Eliminated Tournament semi-finals set to take place as well tonight. How have you been enjoying the tournament, Sid? And uh, who makes the final out of Baker and Rose? Oh, I really do want to segue into a wider debate about the platforms and the tournament. Um, I think the Hager-Cutler match has been cited as evidence of, come on, you could easily have put mm. a second women's match on the card, which they never, ever do. But you know why Cutler versus Hager exists. You know... I've really enjoyed um, about half of the Japanese bracket. Um, Yuka Sakazaki's work in particular has been great. Emi Sakura um, has played that veteran role magnificently on that side of the bracket. Um, I was prepared for something like it, so I wasn't put off by the incredibly um, economical, shall we say, to be generous um, presentation of the Japanese side of the bracket. And again, it's a shame that there's so much wrestling and Dynamite is the, the focal point of all wrestling discourse these days, that something like Nyla Rose versus Ty Conti wasn't on Dynamite because it was great. It wasn't like great capital yeah. G, like a great Dynamite-level match, but considering where they are at in their respective developments, it was a tremendous, tremendous showcase of um, Conti in defeat. So I've enjoyed it, but I've not been allowed to enjoy it as much as I could have been. Um Sunday might change my perception of all of this. Who knows? We'll get to that when we do. As for this match itself, um, I don't think it's an accident. They've arrived at an all-heel dynamic here. It gets Prepeka over when I think she inevitably wins. And given how they tend to do these things, um, it will be a situational babyface role for Nyla Rose. 
which seems counterintuitive given the, the the size discrepancy. But I think Nyla Rose has done everything she can as a heel in that role as the resident monster. Um, I think at this point in her career, um, Britt Baker is so good that she can extract something good from uh, imperfect dynamics. She's just that good at this point. And I want to see Nyla Rose, who is so funny on Twitter, and she's shown mm. glimpses of it on Twitter. She will play situational babyface here, but at the same time, I would like to get a glimpse, a foreshadowing of her full-time babyface role in this match. I think they can accomplish a lot in the inevitable 10 minutes or so that it will get. Um, yeah, I think we'll see a glimpse of the babyface Nyla Rose in this match en route to Britt Baker's inevitable win. Yeah, I would love to see that come out, not least because of how much it'll obviously help the chemistry of the match. I think in the time of the pandemic and in time of the various other issues that AEW, some of them which they've created themselves with this division, the three workers who have tried to like shift the tectonic plates by themselves and the absence of it being done for them have been Thunder Rosa, Serena Deeb and Britt Baker. And it's interesting to me that we've kind of seen their abilities, I guess, as generals, as potential leaders, tested week after week after week in this tournament. And here is Britt Baker's turn tonight. That's not to discredit Nyla Rose's contributions to this match. But in each one of those matches, um, it was Layla Hirsch, wasn't it, that was the opponent last week. There's always an opponent that you know is secondary to the person that's going to be winning, that's going to be advancing, that's going to be pushed. And uh, this is like Britt Baker's tonight. It's it's not a, an overt test but it's sort of a, it's one of those last few tests that wrestling kind of should do as your perspective champions and your perspective main eventers of just how much can you make a heel versus heel dynamic work? How can you be the more hated of the two heels? How can you make this like smaller wrestler versus giant dynamic work? All of those things tonight are going to be asked of Britt Baker, but I have absolute faith she's going to answer them because she's answered them like long before this. Those answers started to be given last year just before her like really unfortunately timed injury. So she pivoted to cutting promos that answered the questions instead. Um so I welcome this. Uh yeah, I'm with Cedric. There's there's a lot of awkward conversations to have about the the or there only being one match on this show. Um, that I don't think AEW would have to have had they have had a better record up to this point. I think if anything they're being judged as much on their past as they are their present. Um, you know, Asuka's match was bumped from the pay-per-view and she wasn't given a replacement. And people have just got so low expectations of WWE's main <laughs> roster women's division. Nobody really batted an eyelid. Like the the three way was replaced. Like there would be absolutely more outrage, rightfully so in parts, for AEW doing that at the moment. Um, but I'd like to think that this match will slot in exactly where the matches the last couple of weeks have. We're kind of getting out of that last quarter hour habit, and on this card especially, this belongs in a much higher profile spot. Yeah, absolutely. And it seems inevitable that Britt Baker wins this, but excited to see what they do with My Nyla Rose. Uh, finally, Sige, uh, we've got Ricky Starks and Brian Cage versus the Varsity Blondes tonight, of course, uh, centering around. Still can't get over the fact that I watched Sting get powerbombed last week and, and, and an inevitable response from him tonight to Team Taz's attack alongside this match. Yeah, I'm on the hook for this. I've been saying for a long, long time that as much as I've enjoyed Dynamite's 2021, I still feel like there's a little bit of um, resource issues in that I've seen way more of, and I know he plays a role and I don't want to keep picking on the poor lad, but I've seen more of Ryan Nemeth than Ricky Starks in the ring. That's not good. That, it, it, I know he serves a purpose, but that's not good. I want to see Ricky Starks in the ring. I'm going to see Ricky Starks in the ring tonight. I really can't wait for that. He is just amazing. I also can't wait 
for Brian Cage to interact with Griff Garrison. There's a lot to really like about this match. And in terms of Sting's involvement, it's hard to analyse it in the context of what usually happens in wrestling because Sting's almost exempt from it given how much he can do and versus how much he can't. But the rhythms of how these things are booked and how they should be booked is that he gets one up on the baddies. He's going to have to... It's fair enough for him to take a bump and it's got like an attendant meta-anxiety given what we know of Sting um, and his age and his um, medical history. It's one thing for him to take a bump because virtually anyone can take a bump. It's the very first thing you do. It's quite another for Sting to do something physical um, in a sort of mini-reckoning ahead of the big pay-per-view um, comeback. It's quite another thing for him to look impressive, particularly when he's going to have to do it at the expense of Brian Cage. And I know he's got a bat, but part of the the, the, the story now is that Taz has accused him of being nothing without the bat. Mm. So if he just comes out and does some bat stuff, is it that impressive? Well, it, it, fallen into a heel trap here. Sting's going to have to be Sting tonight, and that's quite um, difficult, I would say. Is is there a chance here, Hamlet, that they go proper old school and have Sting in the rafters, or maybe what we perceive to be Sting in the rafters, and then either Sting's in the rafters and Darby Allen comes out and attacks them, or what we think Sting is, is in the rafters, and then it's like, oh no, it's just Darby Allen dressed up as Sting and their eyesight's not very good, and then Sting comes out and makes an attack. Do you reckon that could be something that they've been relying on, obviously, the history of Sting quite a lot throughout this? I don't know, um, but the fact that they haven't promoted Sting makes me think this is an opportunity for them and not use him at all. I have um, oh, have they? Oh, sorry, right. That sort of changes my perception because I, I was just, I love, I love this match. To like paraphrase Marty Gennetti, this match is hot. Um, Brian Cage, like Ricky Starks, is this like horrible sociopathic sexy killer. Mm-hmm. Brian Cage is a monster, right? And what are they going to do tonight? They're going to beat up old Sting. Brian Pillman's playing the flying Brian version of his dar. Griff Carrison's a young surfer. They're beating up 1990 Sting. It's, <laughs> this is this is mint. And the Varsity Blondes are class as well. Yeah. They're like, they're, there's a Jungle Boy energy to the Varsity Blondes in, in terms of the tag division. Like they're going to be somebody's very, very soon within the next year, year and a half. And you can feel it. Um, Starks could just bring such that like dangerous energy that he brings to this tonight. And not least when he's got this giant, like tag team partner that can do a lot of the destruction work for him. So I love this match because they're going to show they're, they're, they're showing uh, Darby Allen and Sting what they've got coming on two old Stings. They're saying, look, Sting, we saw you when you were at your best. It's these two guys and we're going to batter these. So you, the 61-year-old man that Brian Cage powerbombed at dust last week, doesn't stand a chance. If he's advertised, the rafters actually works for me because what I was going to pitch was that neither of them are there. This is Taz blowing loads of goddamn smoke and Ricky Starks and Brian Cage being violent and you've got Darby Allen who was dragged across a road you've got Sting who was powerbombed into the canvas odd by that they're nowhere near them at the moment and it's going to take one hot angle next week to prep you for the street fight I'd completely buy that if they're promoting Sting I, I feel like hands off is the way to go here Um, I think if you're going to do that big babyface comeback or that last big tease of the street fight I think you probably save it for next week 
Uh, right, one final thing to do then before we wrap up, uh, decide who we think is going to win the Wednesday Night War. Not a great week for Michael Sidgwick last week. Both myself and a Hamlet tied uh, for correct predictions because there was 30,000 basically between each of our predictions for AEW and NXT. And basically a draw in the ratings uh, with the, the margin of error. Uh, AEW 747,000 plus NXT 713,000. Um, Sidge, how do you see this one playing out this week? I mean, that was, it was, yeah, 3-2 on it. It wasn't 3-3, three, three, it was 3-2. Three, so still one. Still still one. Still still one. One thing I didn't touch on, right? Um, I think it goes without saying that the match should be great. But if in fact it's in the can, and I believe it is, they are doing that thing quietly that AEW do when Tony Khan has mentioned that he expects he expects on the recent media rounds um Phoenix Archer to be great. Cody on Twitter has said, Oh, this should be excellent. What they are saying in the same manner they did with, I think, Harwood and Jungle Boy was, yeah, this is an actually mint match we have in the can. So get hyped for that. Um, Ratings. Who knows anymore? Yeah. Who knows anymore? This week, if you look at the card on paper, um, Jesus, it's like the weakest in terms of star power in matches they've had in quite some time. All of it, as we said, seems to function in some way to make next week feel bigger than this one um and nxt did a good number by their standards following emma really well received takeover which they in my opinion really just failed miserably to capitalize on oh i think this is going to be low for both i think aw will squeak it absolutely squeak it 705 to 680 Hamlet, is this the week that NXT wins the ratings war? No, but certainly looking at the cards side by side, um, NXT are trying to. You know, your your mileage is going to vary on all the angles and all the things we're going to preview in the NXT podcast. Um, but they're trying. That card is that card shows effort compared to some of the NXTs we've had to talk about in recent weeks and months. Um, and yeah, I still don't think it's going to be close. I, every week that you have, like last week, still to me feels like an anomaly. It doesn't feel like a like NXT doesn't feel like the product that's gonna like flip a trend, and the trend is a year and a half, whatever we're into this now. There's an awful lot of faith in AEW, deservedly so as well, and there's almost the exact opposite in NXT. So I I think the gap is bigger this week, and I think we look at certain weeks like that, and maybe I don't know, maybe there is going to be a turn. Maybe like AEW were just like losing the faith of some of their core because some of these shows haven't been this great this year. I don't know, but I. Uh, 780 to AEW versus 700 to NXT. I, it's because I still can't see NXT flying that high. I don't think they're the brand that can do it at the moment, at least not until crowds are back. God, Jen, Jen, like you say, Sid, it's impossible to call this because, you know, maybe the, the, the AEW goes up because of the sudden intrigue about this. What's all this about this barbed wire exploding death match stuff? So I, d- I don't think they will go up. I think you're right, Sid. I think they'll go down. But I also... As much as NXT are hoying, you know, Karrion Cross on there and the, the developments with the Undisputed Era and all the other Johnny Gargano, Dexter Loomis, I still that's not a draw, goddamn fly. There's no, know, there's no but... draws. You wouldn't put anyone you've just named on a thumbnail. There's no draws. I know, but that in their eyes, they're 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 you know putting a lot of stuff. A lot of stuff has been put up. We talked about this off air. A lot of stuff has been put up up front for NXT, which is a rarity. Normally it's two or three things and then the main things get announced. Usually just after this podcast comes out or about an hour before the show. But I'm going to go 725 
for AEW plays. Let's just say they do exactly the same number, 713 for NXT, but tough to call. And I, I think it is still going to be close. But let, let's be honest, it could be 900, 600 for all we bloody know the way it's gone recently. Uh, right, let us know your thoughts ahead of AEW Dynamite on Twitter at WhatCultureWWE. Well, actually, you can follow all three of us. You can follow Michael Hamlet at... Michael Hamlet. You can follow Michael Sidgwick at... M. Sidgwick. You can follow me at Adam Wilborn. Follow us all at What Culture WWE and make sure you subscribe to What Culture Wrestling wherever you get your podcasts from for daily wrestling podcasts. Our, our preview of NXT should be available as a podcast right now as well. But this has been the Wednesday Night War preview of AEW Dynamite. My thanks to the Dadly Boys. Thank you for joining us and we will see you soon. <laughs>